0: teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's slide this over here. Well, good morning, City Light Church. My name is uh, John Randall. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, I uh, serve here on staff uh, directing our college ministry. Uh, and it's my joy and privilege uh, to be unpacking God's word as we actually finish up our sermon series in the book of Matthew. And so if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 28. As Chris said, if you're a kid in the room, you are welcome here. Parents, uh, we love that you are here. Uh, we are pro-family here at City Light Well, hey, it's graduation uh, season, and uh, I can remember a list of some odd things that happened at my high school graduation. Uh, First, there were a lot of uh, pool toy inflatables that our graduates decided to bring and just toss up in the air when the diplomas were being passed. Seems normal, was not normal to me. Uh, There was a a list of uh, B-list celebrities uh, as well. Uh, Pro wrestler Randy Savage was there, and, uh, and I kid you not. It was rumored that Jerry Springer was in attendance at my uh, high school graduation. As if that wasn't enough, uh, our commencement speaker decided to go on a 15-minute rant uh, about how we needed to learn a second language. Which is probably true, but just seemed an odd place to do that, right? Like, hey, congrats, you're graduating. Now you're going to be a failure at life unless you learn German, right? It just seemed out of place. My whole graduation seemed like a bizarre dream. I didn't know if I was graduating or joining the circus, which I've been told is how it feels to graduate from Wayne State. Uh, Gavin paid me to put that in there. Anyways, uh, well, in today's text, we are actually going to see a graduation of sorts, and it makes my graduation seem tame. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 is what is known as the Great Commission. And in it, we see that the disciples had learned for three years how to be a disciple of Jesus. And now Jesus is having a graduation ceremony, if you will, with these disciples and commissioning them out to join the mission of Jesus, which is to make more disciples. But so often, I think this passage is studied in isolation, that we get to the mission before we kind of take a step back and see the surrounding context and see that This is kind of like a bizarre dream. I mean, picture the disciples here. They had gone to school with teacher Jesus for three years. They had seen this guy do some stuff, right? He walked on water. He told the storm to stop. He taught with authority. He healed people. He cast out demons. And then it all comes crashing to an end, and Jesus is killed. And then three days later rumors start to swirl in their community from these women that say, hey, Jesus is alive. He's actually called us to go to this mountain in Galilee. Scholars think this mountain is where the Sermon on the Mount was given. So they're saying, hey, let's go back to where this whole thing started with Jesus. And he's going to give us a graduation ceremony and commission us out to make disciples everywhere. Now, I know my graduation sounded weird. But again, what's going on in the minds of the disciples here, right? Like, well, we, you know, we went to school for to learn how to make disciples, and then our teacher died, and we didn't think our diploma to make disciples anymore counted. But Here's the thing. When we went to graduation, our dead teacher walked out on the stage and gave the commencement speech, right? I, I don't know if you've ever had a, graduate or a, a resurrection at your graduation, but that's what happened to them. What a bizarre scene. But City Light, this is more than a historic or weird scene that took place 2,000 years ago. In this text, we see that Jesus invites us into a purpose and a mission bigger than ourselves. Jesus calls us into a disciple-making mission. Jesus only gives three sentences here. It's a three-sentence speech, and yet it has eternal significance for our lives. It's so easy to make our life mission too small, right? Our mission becomes losing weight or making more money or raising great kids or having a blissful retirement. We buy into the hype of the typical graduation speech which says, go chase your dreams and be the best you. Even as a church, we can have mission drift. We we can drift into growing larger crowds or buying nicer buildings or offering programs that create consumers rather than disciples. Or we create a spiritual country club for people that look like us, talk like us, act like us, and believe like us. But true life and purpose is not found in those missions. It's found in the mission of Jesus. This morning, I want to offer four truths that give clarity to the mission of Jesus. These truths should be on the diploma of every single disciple of Jesus. And the key that I want us to see, this is so crucial, is that this mission is ultimately and supremely Christ's mission. Let me put it to you this way. Christianity is not primarily about a people with a mission. It's about God's mission to save people through Jesus, Let me say that again because I I want us to capture this. Christianity is not primarily about a people with a mission. It's about God's mission to save people through Jesus. Once we grasp that, it'll actually shape and give purpose to our entire lives. So with that said, it's my hope and my prayer this morning that we graduate into the mission of Jesus Christ to make disciples, but that we would never graduate from being a disciple or graduate from our need for Jesus. The mission is all about Jesus. Let's dive into our text this morning. The first truth that I want us to see is this. Doubt does not disqualify you from the mission of Jesus. Doubt does not disqualify you from the mission of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, They worshiped him, but some doubted. I want us to notice that in the text here, the disciples are staring at the resurrected Jesus, and yet this text says that some doubted. What is going on here? See, I think some of us mistakenly believe that, oh, if we just saw the resurrected Jesus, if we just saw him teach, if we just saw him heal, if we just saw him perform a miracle, then our faith would be solid, then we would go out on mission for Jesus and yet I don't think that is the case. Some of the disciples they had already seen and heard the resurrected Jesus speak to them and yet they're still wrestling with their own faith in this verse. I love that this is in the Bible because it's honest. I mean think about it. Like if the authors of scripture were trying to trick you into Christianity, then the verses would read something like this. The disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, and then full of faith and confidence, they went out on mission. But it doesn't say that. It says some worshiped, but some doubted. What that says to me is that Jesus doesn't wait until we have it all figured out. Jesus doesn't wait for us to graduate from wrestling with our faith or have all the answers. Instead, he first comes to us, and he meets us where we are at. Jesus doesn't get new disciples. He still pursued these doubting disciples. The resurrection shows that he doesn't start over with other people who have it all together, but that he starts something new and those who are willing to trust him, even with their doubts. City Light, can I let you in on a little secret? I struggle with doubts. Like, I sometimes wonder, in God's sovereignty and his wisdom, why in the world did he bless me with three small children? I lose my phone and my keys on a daily basis. How in the world are my kids still alive, right? But, but even more than that, I, I doubt about Christianity sometimes. Like, I wonder, like, did I get bamboozled into this whole thing? Now, I don't have time to unpack all those doubts, but here's the beautiful truth that I want to share with you this morning, is that Jesus is merciful to those who doubt, Jude 1.22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Why does it tell us to be merciful to those who doubt? You jump a verse before that, and it says that Jesus has incredible mercy on those who doubt. Jesus isn't looking for a people who have it all together. He doesn't offer the mission to the straight-A student or the valid Victorian. He offers it to imperfect disciples who are willing to trust him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with doubts about this whole Christianity thing. You're uncertain about following Jesus. I want you to know that to be a disciple, to be a Christian, doesn't mean you have to come to Jesus with it all together. In fact, it means the opposite. It means that you come to Jesus admitting that you don't have it all together. And you cry out to Jesus to help you in your doubts and your unbelief. Your doubt doesn't disqualify you from the mission. Because the reality is... Only Jesus is qualified for this mission, and his invite extends to anyone who would believe. That leads me to the second truth. The authority of Jesus anchors the mission of Jesus. The authority of Jesus anchors the mission of Jesus. Verse 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love this verse. The authority of Jesus is actually a major theme in the book of Matthew. We've seen it demonstrated over and over and over again in his teaching and his ability to heal, to forgive sins, to cast out demons. And now Jesus, at the end of his uh, earthly ministry, is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is the first time in the, uh, the gospel of Matthew where he says, all authority has been given to me. That doesn't mean that Jesus has some new type of authority. What it means is that the scope or the scale of his authority now covers everything. It covers the entire universe. How do we know that Jesus has that kind of authority? Well, what did he just do? He rose from the dead. See, the resurrection, it's not just an apologetic proof that, hey, Jesus is God. He rose from the dead. The resurrection actually shows that Jesus has the authority to rule and to reign over everything. I think that's got two implications for us in the mission of making disciples. One, we make disciples in the authority of Jesus. In other words, uh, we make disciples, or when we make disciples, we go out with the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus is cosmic. It covers anyone and everything. No matter where we go to make disciples, Jesus' authority covers it all. There's no sin. There's no nation. There's no evil force that can overthrow the authority of Jesus. That can be very unpopular today uh, to say that we should go into another culture and share Jesus and make disciples of another people group that believe differently than we do. The argument goes is that's arrogant to go do that to someone else, to say that your religion is right and theirs is wrong. That's arrogant, right? But here's the thing. I think this idea of Jesus having authority is actually a better message. It's actually good news, more so than people give it credit for. Let me give you an example. If we were to go into an African village, and in that village, there was people who were saying, we are being oppressed by a demonic force. What is more arrogant and what is more loving? To go into that culture and say, you guys are primitive. You need to get into the 21st century. Give up this superstition. Or would it be more arrogant and loving to go into that culture and say, we serve one who has authority over this demonic oppression, who will free you from it. Do you want to know him? His name is Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus is good news. And it should give us actually great confidence to go out and make disciples. There's not a place where we will go where his authority is not valid. Two, we make disciples by the authority of Jesus. We make disciples in the authority of Jesus and we make disciples by the authority of Jesus. In other words, we don't go out and make disciples by dominating people and coercing them into the faith. You know, What we do is we actually demonstrate Jesus' own authority, meaning we lay our lives down and we love other people. See, I think in our culture, we have an issue with authority. We can tend to think authority is power-hungry people who want to take away our freedom. But Jesus actually demonstrates the opposite of that. The authority of Jesus is demonstrated by giving up power and granting true freedom. Matthew twenty twenty eight says this, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to submit this morning that I don't think the actual punch of verse 18 is, Hey, Jesus has authority, so go do what he says, although that is true. I think the central punch of verse uh, uh, 18, what Jesus is trying to do here is remind his disciples of the gospel. I think what he's trying to say is, hey, the gospel is that me, Jesus, I have authority. I have authority over everything. The gospel is Jesus has authority. The word gospel actually means good news, but in the ancient world, it was a military term. And so what would happen is if a country went out to battle and they would achieve a victory, they'd send a messenger back to the original town and they would say, we won. We defeated our enemies. Those who would seek to destroy us and oppress us have now been overthrown. I bring you gospel, good news of our victory. Jesus has done this, but on a cosmic scale. He is the new authority in town who rescued us from Satan, sin, and death. And that is the message we declare as Christians. We don't go and make disciples and say, hey, let me give you a sales pitch on how you can know God. We go declaring a victory message that says King Jesus delivered a death blow to our greatest enemies and he paraded sin, Satan, and death in open shame. And he is now reigning and ruling at the right hand of God and one day he's coming back and he's going to lay waste to the evil in this world. He's going to take back the throne that Satan stole from him, and he is going to establish his kingdom forever. And every sad thing will come untrue. If somebody doesn't say amen at the end of that, come on. That is the message that we declare for the person in the room who's not a Christian. May you hear the gospel this way. The gospel is that Jesus is not one who demands your service, but who has used his authority to serve you. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning Jesus is the one that has all of the authority, you believe that in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, meaning he used his authority to serve you, and now he has risen to a new level, a level of authority where he rules everything. Would today be the day that you trust in the good news of Jesus Christ and his authority? Doubt doesn't disqualify you from the mission of Jesus. The authority of Jesus anchors the mission. Thirdly, Making disciples defines the mission. Verses 19 and 18, or yeah, 19 and part of 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we got to ask the question if Jesus has commissioned us to make disciples, that's his mission. We should ask, What is a disciple? How do we actually make a disciple? You know, when Jesus originally uh, called his 12 disciples to follow him, he doesn't just say, hey, come follow me. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, follow me and I will make you a disciple maker. So a disciple, simply put, is a follower of Jesus. Meaning if we're going to follow Jesus, we should do what Jesus did. What did Jesus primarily do in his life? He made disciples. So in some sense, we, we, we can say that in order for us to be a true disciple of Jesus, then we need to progress into a disciple who makes other disciples. This is also why City Light's mission is to multiply disciples in churches. Like, we didn't get that from some, like, conference. We didn't come up with that because we're clever. We didn't get that in some... Uh, boardroom meeting. Like, we literally got that from Jesus. I just want to be clear on that. We multiply disciples and churches. That's our mission, and we got it straight from the mouth of our Lord. These verses uh, will actually clue us into the discipleship making process. Let me nerd out here a little bit, kind of dissect this uh, sentence so that we can all be on the same page. The most important command in this verse, it's called the imperative, just means it's the most important one, is to make disciples. That's the one that has the most emphasis. The other commands of going into all nations and baptizing and teaching to obey, those are called participles. Those are supporting this one command to make disciples. That means they characterize how we are to make disciples. So let's put the sentence together, and it should say this. We make disciples by going into all nations. And a disciple is, at the very least, someone who gets baptized and is learning to obey what Jesus commanded. So let me unpack these two Statement. We make disciples by going into all nations. A modern translation of that text might say, as you go, make disciples. Or when you go out, make disciples. The, the implication being that, hey, uh, you should naturally, uh, when, whatever you do naturally, uh, make disciples as you do those things. And that's probably true. That's, that's actually a, a good uh, uh, interpretation of that verse. But here's the problem for me. I don't naturally want to make disciples. Like, I naturally want to eat raisin canes, enjoy my LaCroix, and figure out when the next time I eat it is that I get to sleep, right? That's what I naturally want to do. I don't naturally want to make disciples. And so I don't think as you go really gets after the emphasis of this command. Instead of trying to cram discipleship into what we're already naturally doing, what if we ask the question, let's reorient our entire lives around this discipleship-making process? That is the emphasis of the word go here. And where are we supposed to go? We're actually supposed to go out into all nations. The original disciples started to do this. And over the last 2,000 years, as this mission thing has exploded, there is now 2.2 billion Christians in the world. Literally churches on every continent. This mission has exploded. But church, the job is not done. The job's not done. When Matthew uses the word nations there, he means people groups. There are uh, about 11,000 people groups that we've identified in the world, and over 6,000 of them do not, or are, are what is considered unreached. Well, what does that mean, right? Well, let me put it to you this way If all the Christians in the world, if all the Christians here at City Light, if all the Christians in Omaha, Christians in the United States, all across the globe, every single one of them, went out and shared the gospel with every single person that they knew. And by God's grace, revival broke out. And every single one of those people became a Christian. Every single one. There would still be a little over 2 billion people on the planet who don't know Jesus. Why? Because they don't know a single Christian to tell them the gospel. That should create a gospel urgency in us. Now, that doesn't mean that all of us need to pack up our stuff and go to an unreached people group and live in a hut and share Jesus Jesus with that people. But it does mean that some of us do. It does mean that as a church, we want to be about sending our best away to people that have never heard about Jesus. We are all involved, whether we go or whether we send, we want to be involved and we want to take seriously this making disciples. And if we are going to take it seriously, we have to think globally. So we make disciples by going and we go into all nations. So what is a disciple? Well, a disciple at the very least is someone who gets baptized and obeys the teaching of Jesus. A disciple gets baptized and obeys the teachings of Jesus. What is baptism? Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. Okay, what it represents is that a person, when they go underneath the water, they're saying, my old way of life is done. When they come up out of the water, what they're saying is, my new life in Christ has now begun. It's an outward expression of something that has already occurred inwardly. And so what we should ask is, in order for someone to get baptized, we actually have to tell them about the gospel. Because baptism is, is representing something that's already occurred on the inside. So in order for someone to get baptized, we have to share Jesus with them. They have to trust in Jesus. And then when they go get baptized, they're publicly declaring that they belong to Jesus. Their old life is done. Their new life in Christ has now begun. It's an outward expression of an inward change. Now, I don't know if Matthew meant to imply this, but I love that he says the disciple is someone who first gets baptized and then obeys. Let me be clear, baptism doesn't save you, but in this context, baptism represents that in order to be a disciple, you first have to be saved. You first have to trust in the gospel. In other words, when you get baptized, it doesn't represent that you are pledging to live a better life for Jesus, but rather it represents that Jesus has lived the life that we never could live. He died the death that we deserve, and he's risen to a new life that he wants to live in and through us. Baptism actually is a picture of the gospel story, and it's important to start with baptism before obedience because a disciple of Jesus doesn't obey to get acceptance from God. A disciple is someone who is accepted by God through Jesus and now obeys. Do you see the difference there? That's what the gospel does. The heart of Christianity is not, hey, obey, and then you get to be a disciple. It's, no, you're a disciple because of Jesus. Now, therefore, obey. If you're a Christian and you have been baptized, we'd love for you to get baptized here at City Light. Here at City Light, we have two main uh, baptism parties, uh, celebrations a year. One is in August, and the other one is in February. And I love that we do this because they're not just these one-time events where we had people, but they really are stories of real disciples getting made. I had the privilege uh, this last August of baptizing one of our students, uh, McKenna, and I had her share her story for our church. It's actually written in our annual report. She writes this, 2018 was a year defined by God's faithfulness. It was a year of God's restoration and salvation in my life. I can honestly say that it all began when City Light U started studying the book of Galatians, the spring semester of 2018. Throughout the semester, the Lord began revealing to me the sufficiency of his grace I grew up in the church knowing about Jesus, but I had a twisted view of God's grace. Through his word, God showed me that he does not love me because of the things I do or say, but because of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross. This truth completely changed my perspective on God's character and how I was to respond to him. My life radically changed. My actions now being motivated as a response to the good news of what Jesus has done for me. In August, I decided to be baptized, publicly proclaiming to my friends and family my life surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, here's where this story picks up, and here's where it's really cool. McKenna went on to become one of our city group leaders uh, in our college ministry this last year. And when we baptized people in February, there were three girls from her group, Sarah, Molly, and Michaela, that got baptized because McKenna was faithful to disciple them. Do you see how this works? Like, we're not called to just be a disciple and follow Jesus. We're called to be a disciple, and the way in which we follow Jesus is to make more disciples. If you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to be baptized. And church, would we pray that this August, that when we baptize people, we are baptizing disciple makers who will go and make more disciples. But we don't want to stop there. We don't want to just give people a a baptism shirt, call it good. We also want to teach people to obey all that Jesus has Commanded. I think we overcomplicate discipleship so much that we miss the simplicity of this verse, right? I I think sometimes we think like, oh, we got to get the latest Francis Chan book and a moleskin journal and sit down at Starbucks and get my favorite latte and go over this six-month curriculum, right? Like, and I think Jesus is just saying, or you could just read this book and by grace actually do what it says. I don't think discipleship is any more complicated than that. But I want to be helpful this morning and provide some basic handles on this. So if you're asking, where do I start? And making disciples, let me give you three helpful steps to take. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. One, do you know the gospel? You're not a Christian unless you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and have trusted and placed your faith in Jesus. So share the gospel with that person. That's step number one. Then what you do is teach that person to also share the gospel. We're not just making disciples. We're making disciple makers. Two, do you know how to share your story? One of the most powerful things you can do is say, this is how God saved me. This is what God's doing in my life. Then teach that person to share their story with someone else, to share how God saved them and what uh, God's doing in their lives. Number three, do you sacrifice financially to Jesus? Now that can be like, whoa, where did that come from, right? Like share the gospel, share your story, give me all your money, right? Like it just, one of these things is not like the other. That can sound kind of out of left field. Well, let me be clear, this is not a ploy for you to give money to the church. The reason I bring up this particular issue is because typically the last thing we obey Jesus on is our finances. Typically, the last thing we surrender to Jesus is our wallet. And the reason that this question is so helpful to bring up is because if we are obeying Jesus in our finances, there's a good chance we will obey him in everything else. I'm not after your money, but Jesus is after your heart. And he says where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. This question also challenges me to remember that discipleship's not just Information transfer. It's life transformation. We don't want people who just know a bunch of stuff. We want them to look like Jesus. Now, if you're saying, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to share my story. I have financial struggles. Well, that's great. Invite someone that you know to pick up the Bible with you and read the book of Matthew. Guess what's in the book of Matthew? The gospel. You don't even have to share the gospel. Just read the book. Read the story. The gospel will come up out of the pages. And then guess what happens? After you read the book of Matthew with this person, all of a sudden you're going to have a story. You'll be like, well, I wasn't really following Jesus, but ever since I started to sit down with you and read the book of Matthew, now I have a story to share. Look at what God has done in my life. Also, a part of discipleship is confessing sin. Remember, we don't graduate from our need for Jesus. We graduate into the mission of making disciples. You don't have to have it all together to make disciples. There's a lot that could be said about um, uh, being a disciple, and it's certainly more than just baptism or obeying Jesus, but a disciple isn't less than those two things. Last, the presence of Jesus preserves the mission of Jesus. The presence of Jesus preserves the mission of Jesus. This last verse is some good news for us, y'all. Jesus's statement here in verse 20 says this, and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. I think it's easy for us to read that as a nice sentiment from Jesus, right? Like, I'm with you in spirit, as if Jesus is just this memory that we kind of conjure up or recall to mind when we're feeling down. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not just with you in spirit. I'm actually going to dwell inside of you through the Holy Spirit you and I are not alone in this discipleship-making mission. Jesus is literally with us until the job is done because it is ultimately his mission. And he will complete what he set out to do, not just through us individually, but through us corporately. The word you in that verse is y'all. That means this isn't our duty as a single Christian. It means collectively this is our mission as the church. This is our responsibility together. And guess what? Jesus is with us us. The book of Matthew begins, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That truth does not end in Matthew 28. Jesus is still with us. The point of the mission is not to do stuff for Jesus, but it's that we get Jesus. The disciples did not turn the world upside down because of a resurrection memory. They turned the world upside down because the same Holy Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead radically changed their lives. Let me close with this. I want to read a selected quote from a commencement speech that was given to graduates and faculty of Yale University on September 10th, 1741. The commencement speaker was Jonathan Edwards. He writes this. He has brought to pass new things, strange works, and has wrought in such a manner as to surprise both men and angels. And as God has done thus in times past, so we have no reason to think but that he will do so still. The prophecies of scripture give us reason to think that God has things to accomplish which have never yet been seen. The Holy Spirit is sovereign in his operation and we know that he uses a great variety and we cannot tell how great a variety he may use within the compass of the rules he himself has fixed. We ought not to limit God, for He has not limited Himself. So, like, may these words be a commencement speech for us. May we not leave this place feeling guilty because we haven't made disciples. May we not leave this place with pride because we're crushing it in the discipleship game. But may we leave this place looking back to the cross and seeing what Jesus has accomplished for us, that he was on mission to get us, to rescue us long before he ever invited us into the mission. And then would we look forward, would we look forward and ask the question, God, what do you want to do in our midst? What are the things that you want to accomplish still yet that would literally amaze heaven itself? Let's not limit what God might do in our midst. Chris may be bald and Gavin may look 85, (laughs) but the Holy Spirit has the heart of an 18-year-old and he is still with us and he still wants to accomplish his mission of making us all disciples who make disciples. He is not done with City Light Church. May Jesus complete in and through us what he set out to do 2,000 years ago and may we graduate into the Great Commission but never graduate from Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the people in this room who may be doubting. I pray for the people that may be feeling at a place of wondering, God, if this whole Christianity thing is true. Oh, God, would you invade their hearts today? Would they they realize that your invitation to know you, to know the God of the universe, and to be loved and accepted, extends to even the doubters in this room? And God, would we recognize that your authority anchors the mission. God, we go declaring a message of authority. God, would we make disciples who surrender their lives to this good news that our God has conquered the grave. And God, may we go and make disciples of all nations, to baptizing them and teaching them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God, may we remember that this whole mission is yours. You're the one that preserves it. You're the one that protects it. God, you're the one that goes. And may we go with your grace here today. It's in your son's mighty name that I pray. Amen.